Good morning, and we bid welcome for the first time ever to the program, Kim Lalby. And uh, how are you doing on this glorious Monday, Kim? Oh, I am fantastic. Thanks for asking. And uh, Kim is the Executive Director of Human Understanding Growth Services Incorporated, also known as Hugs Incorporated. And uh, you're based in uh, New York State. But uh, first of all, uh, Kim, uh, you recently uh, visited Batesville for as uh, part of Mental Health Awareness Month. And uh, can you kind of give us a little bit of background uh, behind the, uh, the designation of May as uh, Mental Health Awareness Month? Sure. So we could we could all argue that every month needs to be mental uh, mental health awareness month, right? Especially as we are coming out of the pandemic and people are kind of trying to get to grips of what the new normal looks like. So we all um, can benefit from awareness being raised, but naturally we take a look at just getting folks to understand the importance of mental health, and and oftentimes there's a stigma around mental health, and we don't take it. We don't talk about it as much as we talk about taking care of our physical health. And so when we have national campaigns and we have opportunities to really highlight the mental piece and really talk about it in a way that normalizes talking about it, well, that becomes a win for all. And so using a month to highlight and step-by-step take time and space to um, just raise everybody's IQ on it, um, normalize the talking about it, and then offer resources and what can we do about our mental health? What are some simple things we can do every day to increase it? Um, And what can we do if we start to struggle in finding the places where we could seek help on it? And uh, something I've noticed, Kim, is the fact that uh, talking about mental health is uh, starting to uh, seem like it's creeping into the mainstream. For example, um, this radio station is the Cincinnati Reds affiliate, and uh, during pitching changes, they have the Reds uh, mental health expert where uh, she talks about uh, mental health uh, and not just for athletes, but just just people in general. And uh, I think the fact that uh, the uh, the stigma is starting to uh, slowly go away, I think, um, you know, that's always a positive sign. Sure. And, and it is by things like that, by people, everyday people who we see talking about this component, right? We we look at athletes all the time highlighting better workouts, more effective workouts, better ways to put nutrition into your body. And we embrace that so easily. Like, yes, we see that as a positive health outcome. Now we just have to really help, you know, push people and shift them to taking a look at that it is equally, if not sometimes even more important, and the connection between the two of physical, spiritual, and mental health and how they are all connected. And uh, we can really do some great things. But it is about taking time out from um, from sporting events where mainstream is listening to that, where we just kind of say, hey, we all have to talk about this because this is a collective problem. And if you've studied our life expectancy over the last, number of years, our life expectancy is going down. And the two main contributing factors to that is death by suicide um, and death uh, because of substance use. So it really becomes important that we understand that this isn't individual. This is actually about all of us as a community together. And of course, uh, Kim, you mentioned previously uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, and uh, you were in Batesville recently uh, doing a, a program um, on behalf of the uh, Coalition for Drug-Free Batesville. 
And you were talking about the fallout uh, from COVID-19 and its impact on uh, our youth and the community. And uh, can you kind of give us a snapshot of uh, what you talked about that day? Sure. So although we covered so much in our time there and loved working with Kim Lincoln and her group in that area, and they're doing some great stuff. One of the some of the things we know that have been an immediate fallout of uh, of the pandemic is one. If we just take a look at screen time um, and how much screen time uh, young people were and adults were suddenly forced onto their cameras because that became the way that we worked. We went to school and it became the normal way that we operated. But what we saw was that screen time doubled and depression tripled. And that, and that is something that has folks like me and folks like coalitions and drug-free communities really alarmed. We saw that, that the amount of heavy drinking, heavy drinking amongst the 40-year-old woman um, actually increased by 41% heavy drinking. And so as much as we want to look and say that this is a concern and a crisis for our young people, we actually saw the moms who were staying home increase their heavy drinking significantly. And the other thing that we are so paying attention to, so painfully paying attention to, is um, that we just tapped out a number of 107,000 um, overdose deaths that happened in 2021, 107,000, which is a number we have not seen. Um, and I believe it's a, about a 50% increase over what we saw in 2019. And that is really something that has many of us um, highly saddened and highly alarmed and needing to take more action. And as far as uh, those numbers are concerned, uh, have they uh, come out for uh, 2021? That is the 2021 okay. number. And okay. it was just, that just wow. recently came out. And, you know, and those numbers are extreme, right? So we want to take a look at those numbers. But then I just want to look at the person who's not heavily in crisis, right, who's not to those extreme ends, but the person who's kind of in the middle and just trying to hold on for dear life. And figuring out how to reconnect and how to be social again and what's appropriate to be social again and how do we, it's, it's almost like being at a middle school dance, right? It's a little awkward at first as we start to move about the cabin and some people are just like, I'm over this, I'm over this. But what we really hear in our field is when somebody kind of is like, I'm over this, that really there's still a lot of residual stuff that they're holding on to. And so this will be a process of healing across the board for everybody, even if they don't feel that they were terribly impacted by this. Now, uh, what can people do if they're affected by it, or uh, what can their loved ones and close friends uh, do to help uh, get some of these people over the hump? Sure. Well, I think, first of all, having honest conversation, right? For those of us who are comfortable talking about our process and comfortable with kind of acknowledging what we're walking through, let's just talk about it. And there's a healing that happens when when I, as somebody who's seen as the, you know, the speaker on emotional intelligence and, you know, people kind of have me on this, well, she never struggles with stuff. I always struggle with stuff. And so when I share that with people, what I find is I create a space where like, oh, my gosh, me too. I thought it was just me. And so there is a power of just kind of sharing our truth. And letting others know um, we're all walking through this together. This is the first time we're all collectively 
healing together and uh and we've all kind of walked through a tremendous amount of grief and so allowing ourselves to be in those stages of grief um that they talk about uh and so one just putting voice to it and just making it okay for people to say that they're not okay that's a big thing we can't fix everybody's challenges but we certainly can lend a listening ear or give them a hug or just you know an encouraging word or just sharing gratitude. One of the things I say in my workshops all the time is write one handwritten card one time a week for 52 weeks and send somebody gratitude. That's 52 people who you're going to make a positive impact on. And if those individuals write a positive note to somebody else, now we just have 104. And so gratitude can become contagious. So as we look to focus on gratitude, build our resilience, um, be open and honest about what we're all working through and just kind of claim it. And and it's kind of what I call, let's do the dishes, feel the feelings and do the dishes, right? We still got to show up and function and that's important. So let's do that. But let's also kind of acknowledge what we've all walked through. If we're concerned about family members, if we're deeply concerned about them, then let's see about getting them help. And you have tremendous resource in Batesville and and in surrounding communities, and there are hope lines that are being set up all over the place, and really as a result of of the pandemic. And, and access to care actually has increased because we can talk to people on the phone now and get, whether it's peer-to-peer or whether it's a clinical person, um, or we can use our cameras and our phones and our Zooms to actually have counseling sessions now as opposed to going to an individual office. And so access to care has changed, and um, and we have it accessible in more places. So now it's just a matter of connecting people. So I think we just really focus on being gentler with ourselves and kinder with others, I think really is what begins to um, to help us walk through this. And we are speaking with Kim Lauby, a mental health expert, and uh, we're going to continue our conversation. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll have more with Kim Lauby right after this. Don't adjust your radio. The sound that you hear is your stomach. You're having trouble focusing. You can't recall your last meal. You're trapped in the hunger zone. The solution, Batesville to go. Let to go deliver a hot, fresh meal to your home or office whenever hunger strikes. To go delivers the best food from local restaurants. Visit us online at togodelivers.com or call us at 812-727-8800. Batesville to go. Big city convenience, small town taste. And welcome back as we continue our visit with mental health expert Kim Lauby. And uh, Kim, can you uh, kind of give us a little bit about your background? Well, I have an interesting story. And, you know, like many in my field, we're called to this field because of of life experience. So um, I didn't think that I was going to do drug and alcohol prevention or be a motivational speaker when I got older. It actually, my journey started when I was 15 years old and I had to say, yes, Your Honor, no, Your Honor. I'm sorry, Your Honor, and I'm never going to do that again. And uh, and His Honor sentenced me to hundreds of hours of community service. And I wound up in front of the judge because my mom placed what was called a PINS petition on me, person in need of supervision. I was 15 years old, and I really had a hard time following my mom's guidelines. And she went to the family court to get them involved and help. And, um, and lucky for all of us, it kind of was a system that worked well. Um, by doing community service, I heard about this leadership program um, that wasn't too far from my house where kids went away for the weekend and 
they met other kids and they talked about issues that were important in their schools and in their communities. And, and I always thought leadership was for the shiny kids, for the good kids, the kids the kids uh, that the teachers always pick. I didn't think it was for me at all. Um, but there was a, a community member, an adult community member who saw me and believed in me and, and actually saw me bigger than I saw myself. So the awesome piece was here this adult community member who didn't really know me or my family's history actually encouraged me to go on this particular weekend. And I thought for sure I would never fit in and I wouldn't belong, but there was something inside of me that really wanted to go. But I was this defensive teenager, right? So I'm like, oh, I can't go. My, my family can't afford it. And this adult community member looked and said, we'll pay. I said, well, I don't have a way to get to Shelter Island. Now, Shelter Island is an island off of Long Island. Um, and you have to take a ferry to get there. And she's like, we'll make sure you get there. And I was like, my mom will never let me go. And she said, I will, I will talk to your mom. And every time I said no, she just kept believing in me. And she made sure that I got out to there to the campsite. Now I got there, and of course it was all the all the leadership type kids, all the kids that the teachers pick, and um, and that everybody loves. And I felt highly uncomfortable at first, but at the same time I kind of felt like I was home. And because I never know when to leave a party, I'm now the executive director of that program today. And so that had that particular experience when I was 16 led me into the work of prevention and helping making lives better and, uh, and also learning to work on yourself. And, um, and so now I get the honor to travel in this great country of ours and listen to communities and speak with communities when it comes to mental health and substance use and just really how we all have a part in raising community youth and going back to community parenting. And uh, Kim, can you explain a little bit about uh, yeah, Hugs Incorporated and uh, how you, uh, how you got to, uh, uh, become executive director of that, and then uh, just pretty much uh, what the organization does. Sure. So we're a, we're a, what you call a community-based 501c3 not-for-profit organization. We're actually located on the end of Long Island, New York, and we run a variety of local programs here for youth, and we do community mobilization. And just like Batesville, we have drug-free communities um, programming here. We have a, a recovery center for those who are um, who have just newly in recovery or those who are curious about recovery or those who have been in recovery for a while. We've partnered with another organization called Thrive and we offer um, programming for them that is uh, where people can do things recreationally and socially, uh, socially without alcohol or substances being at the forefront and so we run a variety of programs here and over time I began to get recognized and our trainings went from local trainings here to then working with national groups like CADCA, Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America, working with different state associations um, and of course our first love working with teen institutes uh, across the country which is um, exactly what our youth leadership program is. It's called a teen institute. And so we went from a, a small organization when I took the organization over in 2002. It was just me. We only did one program. And here we are 20 years later, uh, multiple staff, multiple programs, and not just a local connection here on Long Island, but we get to connect with great folks in Indiana and Illinois and Wisconsin and wherever wherever the travels take us. Because what we do know 
is everywhere across the country. We need to be having more meaningful conversations about mental health and about substance use and about what we really can and should be doing to help um, combat some of these challenges we're having because, quite frankly, we're just burying too many of our own, and it's not okay. Yeah, and it uh, seems like uh, the fact that the the organization has grown where it's where it uh, began, uh, you know, from 2002 up to now. I mean, that uh, kind of speaks volumes about uh, some of the issues that a lot of people are facing. For sure, it's definitely a challenging time. And here's what what most people don't understand is that nobody ever wants to have mental illness. Nobody ever wants to. Um, be addicted to substances. It's not It's not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of good and bad. And that's as we begin to lift the shame and shift the shame, it really is about understanding how addiction happens and why addiction happens. And that 90% of anybody who has an addiction began using in their teen years. And if we could, if we could look at this from a science lens and understand that it's not just about choice, well, what it means is when that brain is developing, that young brain is developing, and we start to add substances to it, not for all kids, but for 90% of anybody who has an addiction, we have just jump-started their addiction. So if we wait until those brains fully hardwire, if we begin to create environments that have great programming and um, and education, if we collectively as a community stop saying it's okay, kids are just being kids, and we realize this is about their health risk and delay when they first can pick up and not have alcohol at every event that we do and not like not normalize it, then we can actually begin to to make some difference. So it really is a community effort. It is about reducing the stigma, and it is about creating great resources out there, and you have some of them right there in Batesville yourself. Well, Kim Lobby, uh, we sure appreciate your time this morning. Uh, stay well, and uh, again, uh, thank you for uh, joining us on the program this morning. Uh, it was my pleasure to to call in and join you and spend some time in your community, and I can't wait for you guys to have me back because I think there's even more for me to see and, and work to do there.